and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School from Los Angeles, California. I'm your host, Michael Benner, and thank you very much for being here, whether for the podcast, the first 20 minutes or so, or perhaps you've enrolled in the full premium audio program, sure hope so, in which case we usually go about 90 minutes. Today we're going to define reality. How's that? Pretty big undertaking, but uh, I'm going to stand on the shoulders of giants. I'm not going to tell you my opinion. We're going to pull from the perennial philosophy. Is that a term you're familiar with, perennial philosophy? If not, it's one I'd like you to check out, Google it, look it up, uh, do a little research on what does it mean? First of all, There is a book from the late 1940s, right after World War II, the great Aldous Huxley wrote a book about basically comparative religion, but moreover the theology and the philosophy of the world that stands behind it, uh, contrasting as well as comparing religion and other mystical traditions like mysticism, which is not a religion because there is no institution. It's a personal kind of a journey. So Huxley wrote this book called The Perennial Philosophy, but the term actually goes back hundreds, even thousands of years. In ancient times, the Latin for it, Prisca Theologia, meaning the ageless wisdom That's what we call our mystery school, the ageless wisdom or the ancient teachings. That's the perennial philosophy. Sometimes it's referred to as esoteric philosophy, meaning only for the most worthy, the wisest women and men, as opposed to exoteric, which is sort of out there and commonplace. And let's start with Euclid and Pythagoras and go from there. Not to demean or (laughs) attack those guys. I'm just saying, esoteric is more metaphorical and allegorical. It's more poetic, though it relies upon and incorporates the exoteric logic and geometry and math and astronomy or astrology and those types of, of concepts. So from the perennial philosophy, we have both East and West. Buddha, for example, about 500 years before Christ, but also Heraclitus at about the same time in Greece, 500 years or so before Christ, pointing to the impermanence of things. And that's one of the three marks of existence we're going to talk about today from the perennial philosophy Marks of existence is often thought of as a Buddhist term, but again, you'll find a great deal of understanding in the most ancient Western philosophy as well of these concepts. And yet, I think what's funny about it and what may make this program special is that few people talk about it. Few people really are aware of the impermanence of things, otherwise we might not get so excited about buying new stuff, nor quite so disappointed when somebody pushes a shopping cart into your brand new car and (laughs) chips the paint and puts a ding in it. It is inevitable and eventually will be a rust heap that you'll have to pay somebody to 
pull away to the junkyard. That's just the facts. I don't care how often you wash it or wax it or how frequently you change the oil or how slow you drive or how careful you are. Everything returns to dust. Impermanence. One of the first tenets of reality or marks of existence we'll discuss today. The second has to do with suffering and dissatisfaction or discontent. Suffering is a strong word, though in Eastern philosophy it translates as suffering. But essentially it just means you're never going to be happy for very long before some desire, some longing or urge for a change or improvement disturbs you. And you decide, you know, the grass really does look greener over there, and I just don't have enough of this, or I have uh, the inferior version of that, and I want a better one. And so there's the desire for the object. But when that is fulfilled, that fulfillment, or satisfaction doesn't really last very long. So that's the second mark of existence, discontent or suffering. And the third is the most difficult, but we'll tackle it here, and that's the idea of the not-self, that you're not the separated, alienated being that you fear you may be. You're, you're not alone. You could never really be alone any more than a leaf on a tree or an apple hanging from the branch is alone and separated from its source. And so that's a quick overview of the three marks of existence, our triune definition of reality today, and let's jump right into it. I'll go a little bit deeper before we wrap up the podcast, and then we'll go even more deeply into it as we move into the premium audio training which you've enrolled for. And by the way, if you'd like to enroll or register and you have not done that, you can subscribe to a single class, the full 90-minute version, or for a nice discount, 13 different episodes, or for the deepest discount, 52 episodes. And they don't come out every week now, but we're trying to get them out every second or third week. And so you'll get the right number. It's not hooked to time now. One class, 13 audio episodes, or 52 episodes for the deepest discount. Just go to our primary site, theagelesswisdom.com, and the T-H-E is part of it, so it's theagelesswisdom.com. Then click on Podcasts and Premium Audio. That takes you to a page where you choose Premium Audio, and you'll be able to register with PayPal and use your PayPal account or credit or debit card of your choice. I'll be notified, and then within a day, you'll get an email from me with the link to the first of your programs. So the first of these three marks of existence in the perennial philosophy, and Buddhism in particular, is impermanence. And this is the idea that everything passes away, that nothing lasts, all things are impermanent, all things are in decay and flux. Now, I think most people are aware of man-made objects being in decay, that uh, anything that we manufacture or make or build is going to break down, run out, 
short circuit, rust, corrode. We're a disposable society. We talk about planned obsolescence and the whole idea of coming out with a new model of car every year is to make people uncomfortable with having the old one, even if it works perfectly. So we like throwing things away because we really like getting new stuff. There's a wonderful feeling and all kinds of great brain chemicals, serotonins and endorphins and other chemicals, neurotransmitters they're called, that flood into the brain when you make a purchase, when you buy something new, or when you acquire an improvement in your status or your position. You get a job promotion or a raise or a person that you're romantically interested in gives you a smile and exchanges telephone numbers and agrees to have a date with you, and boy, you're just over the moon. We love that feeling of newness and starting over and another chance. And in a sense, we get addicted to that. We want to clutch at it, grab at it, and hold on to it as if it should never change. So we're ignoring and denying reality anytime we want something to stay the same. Because the one thing we know is that not only will these physical objects that we've manufactured... And food, for example, from nature that grows out of the ground or falls off trees, that obviously is going to continue its ripening process and eventually it goes its way and returns to the earth. But all things do, even the earth itself. The reason the Appalachian Mountains look so different from the Rockies or the Sierras in the West is that they're much older and Erosion has replaced mountain building activity. So the mountains are slowly being buried in their own debris, and they're all nice and round and smooth and covered with dirt and trees. And out west, you have these jagged peaks as the mountains continue to grow every year a little bit taller. Or look at the archipelago that is the chain of islands in the middle of the Pacific that's not a whole bunch of little islands created by a whole bunch of little volcanoes. There's really only one vent in the middle of the ocean. And the Pacific Plate is slowly moving toward the northwest. So as it moves, an island that was made when it sat on top of that Pacific vent, currently it's called Kilauea, as it moves off, it stops the volcanic activity. It's moving away from the vent. A new island is beginning to form over the vent as this island moves to the northwest and erosion reduces it. And so if you look at the archipelago called Hawaii, you'll see every island as you go to the northwest gets a little smaller and a little lower until they just become dots that are barely emerging above the waves, and some of them are being covered by the oceans as the polar ice caps melt. So, yes, the big island, so-called the island of Hawaii, will also, in millions of years, move to the northwest. By the way, the Pacific Plate moves about as fast as your fingernails grow, about one inch a year, in case you were curious about that. And... A new island will replace it, and this will 
conceivably continue for several more million years, as long as that vent out in the middle of the Pacific where these, it's called the Mid-Pacific Rift, and there's just a hole that goes down to the molten core of the earth and the lava comes up and out, so... You've got that motion and that decay. You've got the ebb and the flow of the mountain building, in this case volcanoes, and then the erosion. So this is true of the inanimate as well as nature, food, and animals, and people, and anything that we fashion, even if it's made out of steel or titanium, stainless steel even, eventually it's going to go its way and return to the elements from whence it came. And that's just simply a law of reality that was identified almost 3,000 years ago, maybe earlier. I mean, our our writing only goes back about 3,000 years. So we don't have records that go much further than that. And yet it appears that our most ancient ancestors understood impermanence. Who does not understand it? Most of our neighbors. Because we are inundated by television and radio and print media and newspapers, magazines, now the internet. And uh, gosh, there's even ads in your email and everywhere you turn, bus benches and taxi cab cards and uh, bus cards and everywhere you go, there's advertising trying to persuade you that you do need a new one. And the implication is, if you take care of it, it'll last forever. And it won't. Actually, if you think of it carefully, if we're conscious enough, advertising itself is a concession to impermanence. Hey, it's not going to last. It's already out of style. It's not trending. Get rid of it. Buy a new one. And we're getting better at recycling and being conscious of the loop or the cycle of material. I first began to look at this as a young man reading Bucky Fuller's book, Spaceship Earth. The idea that we're on a planet with finite rather than infinite resources. So Heraclitus said, No man ever steps in the same river twice, for it is not the same river, and he is not the same man. You see... Everything is in flux, everything is in change, nothing lasts, all things must pass. And if nothing else, that ought to be a call for us to be aware of the value of the present moment. If you have something you cherish, knowing that it's not going to last forever, you're going to want to take care of it and appreciate it. You know, if it gets a scratch in it or a bump or it stops working or you got to replace it, rather than being frustrated by that, your attitude ought to be one of, well, of course, all things pass sooner or later, right? If you're depressed, you can find some refuge in the understanding that all things change and eventually I'm going to feel better. And when you're on top of the world... You just might want to account for the fact that it's not going to last. Something will come along to harsh or mellow and, you know, bring you down. It's up to us, however, as the awareness behind 
thought and emotion, speech and behavior, to recognize that this is happening and make the best out of even what would appear to be bad situations, not judge them as good or bad or right or wrong or even in our interest or not in our interest because you never really know when some curse is really a blessing in disguise or some dark cloud has a silver lining to it. So careful on that judgment. There's a lot of admonitions in religion as well as philosophy about not judging I mean, don't be confused. We have to judge a lot of things. But judging other people as a way of understanding yourself is silly because you're incomparable. And then further, judging something as right or wrong or good or bad or better than something else or worse than something else, keep that to a minimum. Try to walk a balance. Hold it gently in the palm of your hand. Do as little of that judging as you have to do. Be careful of it, okay? Now, the second mark of existence is suffering. In Buddhist philosophy, suffering is the first noble truth. That's where everything begins for a Buddhist, which is to accept that you will never really be fulfilled, at least for very long in this life. You will suffer. As I said, that's a bit of a strong word, but It referred to Buddha as a young man, at least according to legend, first encountering illness and then aging and then dying, which he had never seen as a boy. He'd been protected and sheltered in his father's castle, and only when he got out one day as a young boy did he encounter these realities and Realize that everybody suffers. We all suffer broken hearts. We all suffer loss. And we know the hurt, even the agony, and the difficulty of dealing with it, of trying to manage it, and not really knowing what to do with these feelings when they when they overwhelm us, force us into tears. We end up doubled over in the fetal position and uh, just holding on to ourselves as if we're in a free fall and not sure what to hold on to. The very fact that we need to hold on to something or believe we need to hold on indicates we don't understand that we can fly, or better said, maybe just that we're all floating freely anyway. And if you fell off an asteroid and a little piece of the asteroid fell off with you. You might scramble to try to hold on to it, but what would be the point? The asteroid and you and the little piece that fell off are all still just floating through space. So you say, no, it's careening at a high rate of speed. Well, what's the difference between moving very fast through space and floating in one spot? There is no there there. It's all relative Up, down, left, right, fast, relative to what? Distance relative to what? That's the cool thing about space. And, of course, we're in the middle of that. (laughs) The idea that outer space is someplace else. I mean, Earth is as much in outer space as any other place in the universe. So that's all sort of (laughs) fun to play with, I think. Suffering really means, I think, discontent and an understanding 
that it's related to the first concept of impermanence, that just as the material stuff that we want to acquire and possess is going to let us down, <laughs> it's going to rust and corrode and dissolve and decay and fade away and go, it's inevitable, it's unavoidable. Well, in the same way, the satisfaction we get from pursuing and acquiring and possessing it is also going to be in perpetual decay. And I could go on about that, but I want to touch on the third item here for the podcast people, and then we'll expand on all three of these, especially the third point as we move into the premium audio. The third point is the not-self or the no-self. This is translated from a Pali word, anatta, ancient Sanskrit or Pali language. And it's difficult to explain because it's not an absolute. The problem with the no-self or the not-self is believing that either we are a self, or some might say we have a self, and the antithesis would be the argument, no, you're not a self, you don't really exist, it's all an illusion, or maybe better said, you're an extension of one thing, you're a part of one thing, just as there is no point in a magnetic field around a bar magnet that is not both positive and negative. You can't have a positive charge without a negative charge. They go together. And everything's relative. There are no absolutes in the world anyway. So we make a mistake when we say, well, there's only two choices. Tell me, either I am a separated self or I'm not. Which is it? And Buddha refused to answer that question, although he taught the sutra of the no-self. He refused to say definitively that there is no self. The problem is the word. And it appears that there is no central CEO or chairman of the board in our heads that is making decisions, that the appearance, the perception, let's say it that way, the perception that there's one of us in our heads making these decisions, thinking our thoughts and feeling the way we feel and doing and saying what we feel like doing and saying, that's largely illusion, that we are in fact what we call the self. It appears is the aggregation of a number of influences. And we're going to talk about that in the premium training in just a few minutes. So if that intrigues you, or any of this intrigues you, I hope you'll subscribe at theagelesswisdom.com. That's about all the time we have for the free podcast. Stay with us if you're a premium audio subscriber. And to the rest of you, thank you. Thanks so much. I hope you got something from this. And we'll make this a habit. You can pick us up in the iTunes store, most major podcast directories, and streaming to your mobile devices without the need for any download via Stitcher, Stitcher stitcher.com. Search for The Mystery School, Ageless Wisdom, Michael Benner, any one of those, and you should be able to find us. 
You know, the cool thing about Stitcher for your smartphone and your tablet is it's an app that does not require you to download the program. It streams, so it doesn't use up your memory. Very cool option. Podcast or streaming via Stitcher.com. Thanks again. Be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. So long from L.A.